Restaurant Unstoppable episode 964 with Keely Biesecker. To be honest with you, I really don't know how we made it. I think the only way we made it because who we were and how the people felt when they came in the restaurant and when they left. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. For restaurants, large costs can pop up fast, but the traditional loan process is way too slow. And that's why you need to know about Zinch. Zinch is a direct lender that makes the financial process quick, convenient, and accessible. Let me tell you a little bit more about Zinch. They can fund up to $250,000 in less than two days, and all you have to do is just fill out a simple online application and provide a copy of your four most recent bank statements, and you can get an approval within 24 hours. Right now, Zinch is waiving application fees for my listeners, a value of $250. Go to FinancingThatWorks.com to get pre-qualified and to see how much financing you could get with Zinch. Loans made or arranged pursuant to a California finance lender's law license. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest owner of Niffers, Keely Biesecker. Keely, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am. Yes. I mean, hold me back. Here I come. <laughs> I'm you, feeling it. You're a lot of fun. I've had the the pleasure of kind of getting to know you from the, from a distance this right. week. We haven't spent a lot of time together, but when I'm in the same room as you, usually something funny happens around you. So I know this is going to be Oh, a- yeah. <laughs> it's going to be funny. I cannot wait. So before we dive into who you are and how Niffers came to be, okay. let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us Keely well I, I you know I've been in the business for a long time and you know it has always been 110 percent when you do something mm. and now with everything that changes I've kind of if we can improve every day by one percent mm. we're on the right track so all my managers and my staff realize that okay we might not get 110 percent today but we're just shooting for one percent so that's what we're shooting for now one percent better Every day, every constantly day. improving. It never ends, especially in this industry where, you know, it's it's getting more and more competitive. The landscape is changing the, you know, it's going from just being brick and mortars to digital to online ordering to delivery, third party. Like it's constantly changing. Right. So uh, absolutely. If once you stop, 
improving. Then that's when, yeah. yeah. Then the doors are probably going to be closed. Then. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly. how you have to, you know, look at it. But COVID kind of changed a lot of things. Um, just in the way that made me change way of thinking, mm. you know, cause you had to do carry outs and you know, we didn't have a kitchen that would design to do carry outs and, but we made it through COVID. Um, fantastic. Yeah. But it made you really step back and look at things, how you had to change your systems a little bit. And yeah. so I think we came uh, out of it better than, I think we came out of COVID better than we, if COVID didn't happen. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, to it, it definitely galvanized a yeah. lot of people. Like it forced people to evolve if maybe they weren't quite where they needed to be. They right, got cause, there. Yeah, because you've been in the business long and you kind of get... Yeah. St- stationary yeah. it's like you stop growing and stop, covid that one percent yeah. goes zero percent right easily sometimes and it was yeah. like oh my god but i think we've grown more mm-hmm. since covid so so where does it make sense to start sharing your story how long have you been in the restaurant industry i got in the business in 1982 okay. um in auburn alabama i went to school at auburn university uh, i was a swimmer for auburn so I was a swimmer all my life. Swam in California. Was born and raised in California. Mm-hmm. Got came those to, long arms. You're long. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the shoulders. Yeah. Um, so I came to Auburn and I swam. And then uh, I, my whole dream growing up was to go back to L.A. and work with L.A. Police Department in okay. narcotics. Okay. And then the night I graduated, I had a illness that took place, and that kind of threw me out of being in the law enforcement business. And I was like, oh, shit, what am I going to do now? Because all I did in my whole life was swim. Okay. And I never had, you know, when you say you don't, you didn't have a job, I didn't have a pain job mm. because swimming it was, was, it, yeah. was it. Yeah. I mean, I swam seven hours a day. So so why the police department in narcotics? What was it about that that appealed to you? Well, that's really going to. I'm um, just curious. Well, it probably started because my favorite TV show back in the day, before you were born, was Cagney and Lacey. Okay. Where it was two female cops. And then growing up in California, um, you see a lot of drugs that are pushed on young kids. Mm. And if you choose to do drugs, that's fine. But when you're pushing it on a 10-year-old, yeah. I was like, uh. And before I just, they have the choice. Before, yeah. yeah. And I just kind of wanted to get in that field. And it was, you know, fun and exciting and the discipline and that's kind of the route that I always wanted to do. So when I went to school at Auburn, basically all I did was swim. I wasn't really worried about what I graduated in. Yeah. So I picked the easiest degree that I could get and that was health and recreation administrated. And, um, then I was going to do that. And then, you know, I had the illness and then I was like, you know, what am I going to do now? And are um, you willing to talk about the illness? I know not everybody's that. No, I don't. I had seizures. Oh, so the first night, the night I graduated, I had a seizure. So I had seizures for about 10, 15 years. Now, did you, were you still able to compete as a, an athlete? Oh, I was done because oh. I had graduated from college. Okay. So it was the night that I graduated. Um, well, at least that. Yeah. <laughs> so then, I, you know, but you kind of was like, oh, my God, you know, what do I do now? Mm. And I had a real hard time for a year. So I kind of left. And it's kind of funny. I wanted to be a kind of a ski bum. Yeah. So I went to New Mexico and I got up there and I thought, well, I'm going to do this till I figure out what I'm going to do in life. And I got up there and it was a very heavy drug scene. Um, so this is 1981. And I thought, oh, this is not where I need to be right now. Yeah. And so I came back to Auburn and 
worked three jobs, and then I've got in the restaurant industry with Quincy Steakhouse. So with the drug scene, is it just not for you? Is it not like, is it, is there history with your family or is it, there's, is there a bad, like a uh, relationship you had or something? No, it's just, um, how can you, uh, you know, when you're, I think when you're an athlete, you have, you can have strong addictions. Yeah. And I just knew that at the time of my life, cause I was kind of down in the dumps. Why me? Yeah. Why me? What am I going to maybe low? You might be low hanging fruit for right. the drugs. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I was strong enough in the head to know yeah. I need to get out of here. So I went back yeah. to Auburn, which. So I'm curious to kind of dive into, and this is, I know I should have given the, the warning. I usually tell my guests before we get started that I ask very personal questions. And the reason for that isn't to be a jerk and to expose you and to right. put you in a weird spot. It's because the mission of this podcast is to inspire is to show people that no matter where you are in life, right. that if you put your head down, if you do the work, you can overcome and you oh, can yeah. get to great places. So what was the narrative, the inner dialogue going on for you? Where were you? Oh, I was in a bad place. Yeah, um, I can imagine your whole life. You, you're dependent on your body and, and your, your ability to, to perform. And then it sounds like that was in question. Yeah. I mean, and you know, you get there and it's, you don't, you know, all your life you had something that you did and you were good at. You identified. I was very good at it. It was part of your identity. Yes. And that's probably why I got sick was because my last year swimming, I got anorexia mm. very bad. And I went from basically 175 and at the end I was at 96 pounds in four months. You were at 96 pounds? How yes. tall are you? I'm five, eight and a half. I mean, that's a, like you're, you know, like. You're skinny, but you're not a small person. And but you don't see it when you're that sick. Mm. You think you look great, and I couldn't s- swim. So that summer, when I was home in California to swim, to come back to Auburn because I was on a full scholarship, um, I had to take a break. You know, my coach at home said, yeah, "Maybe take a break off," because I was having a hard time in workout. So with with your uh, what's the word um, anorexia? Anorexia uh, was it? For, was it performance based? Do you think you needed to be smaller to swim faster, or? Well, it wasn't. Um, in a way, it's performance. So back then, before Title Nineteen, you know, Nineteen is it Nineteen? Yeah, Title Nineteen, Title Nine, Title okay, Nine. Nine. Before that happened, a female. What is Title Nine? Well, a female athlete back then, you only got your scholarship yearly, where a male comes in and they get a scholarship for four years. So. Coming from California, and my dad would not pay for my colleges. If I was going to go, you're paying for it. I'm not giving you a cent because yep. you could go to school in California, state schools for free. Mm-hmm. Well, our, and I won't forget. So I swam with Rowdy Gaines. So I was with the elite. And our coach had a meeting at the end of the, my junior year and told us female swimmers, he was male and females, that there's some of you in this stand, and you know who you are, but if you want your full scholarship next year, you need to lose some weight. So basically, that's to me, if you knew me well enough, that's an open-end question. And if you're going to give me something like that, I'm going to go all oh, out. Oh. And before you know it, you know, I'm all out because I had to come back and I had to have my school paid for. So the pressure was unbelievable. I can imagine. And you know where and you kind of back then you don't realize but you know a male you can have a bad year and still have your scholarship. Mm-hmm. A female was based off of performance, weight, and, yeah. everything. And you know back then the uh, female Olympic swimmers we were pretty heavy. So it was kind of a standard that female swimmers at that time, so this is back in the 70s early 80s were heavy and we had to lose weight. And so you know I did it. So basically all I did was eat 
broccoli, grapefruit, and I probably worked out because, uh, you know, I stopped swimming in the middle of the summer, but I was at the track. I probably worked out six hours a day, wow. and but wasn't eating. And then before you know it, you're just... It's just amazing how far we've come because you think now, like, you would never hear a coach say something like that. And if anything, they wouldn't want you, they would want you to get the nutrition, the nutrition you need to perform. Right. Like oh, how, nowadays they would not ever like, say that. Like, I'm sure, like, uh, did, were your numbers, like, your times getting shorter or longer because of... Oh, like, it was terrible. I yeah. mean... Yeah, but there was no, you know, I did what he asked me to do, so it was kind of like, well, yeah. you told me to lose weight to get my scholarship. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I did come back my senior year. I did finish swimming. I did go to, you know, nationals, um, but not where I should have been. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, it just kind of moved from there. And then, you know, you're still shooting for the Olympics, but then we boycotted. So that was the end of my career. So it was, you know. So where were you? Tell me, take me, take me to that mental place you're at. You, you start getting seizures, your, your professional career is over. Uh, paint that picture of what you were thinking and where you're headed. Well, um, you're really getting personal now. I know. Well, I mean, I hope you don't, is it too much? Cause if it is, we can edit this out. I don't want to push too hard. I mean, I'll tell you and then you can decide to edit out. Okay. So here I am from California in the South. Um, so I was dealing with that and then my lifestyle because I'm a lesbian Kate was not able to be talked about, especially in the South. And so I was dealing with that, um, because that happened on my junior year punch right now. Right. And I'm like, Oh, so, you know, I didn't have my family support on that because I wasn't in that state to let them know. And then I was sick and then I didn't have a job. And so it kind of. My life, I guess, back then was pretty rough. Yeah. So I I probably, you know, the seizures probably happened more than they may be because of the stress, mm. because a uh, seizure can be from stress and, you know, tired. Um, and so that was very hard for me because I was in the South and I was a star athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, none of my swimmers knew ever. You would never bring that up. So, you you know basically you know living in that closet for you know many years and then you know i get in the restaurant business and you know in the south they kind of ask two questions what church do you go to and what does your husband do you know and i'm like oh i don't go to church (laughs) and i don't have a husband and you know so over the years you know it got better i can't it's so hard because it was so many years ago to explain but it you know still carries on it is kind of nice to hear about things like this because I think it offers perspective. Right. You know, you think about kids today who have uh, alternative, like, you know, sexuality, whatever right, it is, right. like no matter what it is, like we're, I feel like we're so much more open-minded. Oh, today. we're much, I mean, and, and it's, it's sometimes you, you hear w- about what's happening in the news and how bad things are. And you're like, wait a second, look how far we've come, right. you know, like 50 years later, like I feel like we're so much more open-minded now. And like, I think we, we, we compare ourselves to, I think what we want or whatever optimal world we can imagine and we think like wow but when you stop to think about what it was like just 50 years ago right you know like what you had to go through and what right. you had to bury and what you couldn't you couldn't be your true self right like, i think it's good to offer that perspective yeah i mean it, and you know and then the business i got in yeah you know i don't look at being in this restaurant business i look at being in the people business so you know you're out there and then you're still hiding that fact yeah um but 
I have to say, I mean, I've been in the business for a long time. It has done a complete turnaround. So, um, and it's amazing. You know, I can think back, you know, my mom, when I did come out to my mom, um, which, you know, they were all fine. It was, you know, it's, it's more probably brought on by myself than it was them. Mm. Um, but you know, my mom would say, well, how do you think they know now you're, your guests and I said because they don't ask me what my husband does anymore mm-hmm. you know and all of a sudden it changed yeah you know and it's kind of you know you don't realize at the time but then you kind of think back and it's like well how do I know when they knew something was different and they would stop asking that and it's fine mm-hmm. you know you know and now probably in the maybe the last 10 years is the only time that I would mention my partner where before I wouldn't even met because my feeling was some people aren't comfortable with it yeah. I'm not going to put them in that uncomfortable feeling so i kind of just i would imagine if there was a place in the country it's probably that part of the country that's still a little bit lagging behind yes. as far as that yes. goes i mean most parts of the country are pretty open-minded to that sort of thing right today. it's not even people don't even bat their eye at sexuality right like you know let's go whatever right. whatever makes you happy you know right. um but how much time elapsed from graduating and going through this personal challenge of your own uh this dark time uh, to when you opened your first restaurant uh, so if you opened your first restaurant in 1991. No, uh, I was uh, in the business, but I didn't have oh, my own. Okay. So you were working in the business for about nine years before opening your first place. Yes. So, so 1991 is when I opened my first one and got in the business in 82. Okay. So uh, basically 15 years probably. 15 years. So um, how did, were there key mentors? How did it get to the point where you felt like you were ready to open your your first place? Well, I, I think that one reason that I probably opened my first is because I had bad supervisors. Okay. And I knew that this was the business I wanted to be in, and I loved it. Why was this the business you wanted to be in? Oh, my God. It is so much fun. And to me, it, it was just like swimming. It's very disciplined. You have to be very disciplined. Um, and the best thing about compare a restaurant to swimming is when I got out of the pool every day and every workout – I knew if it was a good workout or a bad workout. And every day when I leave my restaurant, I know if it was a good day or if it was a bad day. And I know just as in swimming what I need to do the next day to be better. Mm. And, you know, to this day, I learn something new every day and I'll go, oh, my God, we didn't do quite well. But I know when I come in the next day what I need to do. So it's that 1% that falls back in there. It's like, and where I, and I might be wrong, but I feel a lot of jobs out there. You don't know when you leave what kind of day you had. Did you have a good day? Mm -hmm. Did you win? Did you lose? You get instant feedback in the restaurant. Right. And swimming is the same way. Yeah. And you know, it's the coaching. Um, You know, if you ask, what is the feedback in swimming? Is it your time? Is it like the, how do you know you had a good workout in swimming? Oh, your times, if you made your time, you know, because you're on set. So you could like to have 10 100s, which is four laps. Got it. And if you're making them at 115, you know, you're doing pretty, that's a good day. Yeah. Um, You know. So it's that instant gratification of knowing I I worked hard and I I saw my results. Yeah, you know. And in the restaurant industry, how does that translate? What's the result for you personally? Well, one is, you know, I look at quality of food. If it yeah. goes out, great. Yeah. The ticket times. Are we greeting our customers as soon as they come in? Are our tables, if you come in at 1130 or let's say 3 o'clock in the afternoon, your dining experience is the same as someone that came in at 11 o'clock? Um, uh, the cleanness of the restaurant. The smiles on the face. Every, you know, 
everything. Yeah. The moods. Yeah. It's a good day now if they're not on their phones. Yep. You know, you, things have changed, but now you're like, oh, yes. <laughs> you know? Um, so uh, there's, you know, and there's days that, you know, you get your ass kicked, but you still know when you left it was a win. And mm-hmm. so in our manager log in RSP, we have a section that says, was it a win or was it a loss? And our, you know, manager put it, it was a win, semi-win, or it was a loss, yeah. which sometimes they Everyone were, was in the weeds. Yeah. <laughs> describes it a little bit different rather yeah. than just loss. I'll go just, it sucked. But, <laughs> um, you know, and uh, all yeah. my staff knows. So one thing I'm curious about, um, I'm, I, in my experience working in the, one of the reasons why I love the restaurant industry is because the people in the restaurant industry are just who they are. Take me or leave me for who I am. If you don't like me, I'll go to the next place. But right. I feel like in the restaurant industry, generally speaking, people tend to be more open-minded. You're, the people you work with tend to be yes. a little bit more, uh, I don't know, they're, they're emotionally, socially intelligent. Right. Um, do you felt like you were more, do you feel more safe because people are more welcoming in the restaurant industry because of your, you know, you're right. Because of, did, I guess would, in some places you might feel more judged because of your, your life choices at this point. Right. right. Did that play into it? This is just me being curious. And sorry that I'm still harping on this. I'm just kind of wondering now. No, I, I don't think it made me feel a safe spot. I think, you know, if, you, if the question was, do I feel safe in the restaurant because of my... Well, more sex- welcoming or just more like, I guess, accepted. Not... Not No, done. I don't feel that. Okay. I mean, I feel safe in my business because I know the business. Yeah. And they're my family. You know, so we treat each other with that respect and we yeah. all work together. So, you know, it's my place. I mean, yeah. when I'm, you know, I tr- before this, like in like the, the eighties when you were coming up and learning the industry. Well, I didn't feel safe because no one knew back then. Uh, that's right. So I didn't come out, you know, till in the restaurant business to 95, 96. Okay. So that's a long time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, and I was corporate when I was brought up for nine years. It was a shark on the dock. I was just curious. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, you know. So where did you, like, where did you learn how to run restaurants? Like, where do you think you evolved the most as a restaurant professional before opening your own place? Uh, I worked for Quincy's Steakhouse, which is Spartan Food Systems, okay. which back then was uh, owned by Jerry Richardson, who bought the Carolina Panthers. So it was Quincy's Steakhouse in the Hardys out of Spartanburg, South Carolina. Okay. So that's who I worked for, which was a absolutely fantastic company. I mean, it was corporate. They, you know, and I knew nothing. And I started as a salad person and I worked myself all the way up to a general manager position in that store. How long store. did that take? Eight and a half years. Eight and a half years. So when you, 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 when you started, you're working in the salad station? What does that yeah. mean? What, 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 As an employee. Okay. So are you making salads? Or yeah. Did, okay. So the salad bar. Got so it. So it. Quincy's is kind of like, I think you would probably know a Golden Crow. Okay. So that, you know, the big food bar Got and it. all that. So, um, and then, you know, I went to the front line doing the, you know, uh, the cashier, you know, when you took your order, cause you went through that line, the yeah. corral, which to me was very, I mean, it was a that was probably my favorite job because I, we made it competitive. I had yeah. this girl, Laura, and I'll never forget. So this is 1982. And we would time to see on a Sunday who could each Sunday, who could get the line through the fastest. Nice. But so all so that doing times again, right? Yeah, that yeah. compete, you know, we would compete against each other every other Sunday. Um, and that's kind of when I knew 
that, okay, this is probably what I'm going to choose to do the rest of my life. And there's a little underlying nugget there of the power of gamification in business and making it fun and making it a game and and playing the game of business. And now you you can go from looking at times, but you can also look at numbers and like, you know, bottom and top numbers and like like it becomes a, a, you have a goals. game. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and numbers. You measure your performance. Right. I mean, yeah. you know that, you know, and that's where you go back. You know. I mean, when you have a prime cost of running at 75%, you're not doing really good. You're having fun probably, yeah. but there's probably not much money in the bank. So, but when I first got in the business, I didn't know anything about numbers. Yeah. That wasn't my goal. And I didn't get in the business thinking I was going to make money. Um, I got in it because I didn't want to work. If I was going to work this hard, I was going to do it for myself. So um, I didn't learn about numbers till later in life, which thankful that I did because, you know, now I'll be able to retire and have that money. But um, so, that has never been my, I guess, my goal to make. It was never my goal when I got in the business to make money. Now it is my goal. So originally it was just freedom to work for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... 1982 is when you got into the industry. You said you worked with uh, Quincy's um, in North Carolina, or sorry, Quincy, North Carolina, Spartan Steakhouse for eight years. You started on the salad station. You worked up to general manager. Uh, wh- how long did it take you to get to the, that title of general manager? You left after um, eight years, but how long were you the general manager? Oh, probably two years. So like six years there, yep. you were the general manager. Yeah, so you went from intern, manager, intern, assistant manager, manager, general manager i could have moved up much faster in the company if i chose to uh transfer to another store but i wanted my goal was to be in that restaurant and go from salad all the way up to general manager so so what were i mean this there were no other restaurants or jobs before after this before opening your own place yes there was there was what was that i um then went and left and did a franchise tj cinnamon's bakery and so I had a customer that wanted to put his son into this franchise, and then he wanted he brought me in to help his son and gave me a fifty percent of it. Um, and I spent fifty percent of uh, the equity business. or profit. No equity. What's so, equity? and I was like, "Yeah, I'll do it." And you know, it was a franchise out of Kansas City, and the big cinnamon rolls. So I don't, you know, a lot of people. I don't think they're around, but Cinnabon, same yeah. kind of thing. So I said, "Okay, I'll do that." And I left Quincy's, and um, it was a great friend. You know, I learned a lot, um, but we didn't make it. And I'll never forget. And people go, why didn't you make it? And I'll never forget one morning I woke up, and it was on the Today Show. And I'm watching it, and this character, this fat little character, went across the screen. And I thought, oh, my God, what the hell is that? And they introduced the damn fat cell. And it was the first time when everyone started <laughs> talking about the fat cell, you know, yeah. which has been around for generations. But this is, you know, how we're all going to lose all this weight and the fat cell and all this. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, Hardee's, which serves biscuits and gravy and all that, was right across the street from me. And here I am. And customers would come in and the rolls were fantastic. I bet. But they would tell me, oh my God, this is so good, but I will not be able to eat another one for two weeks. And I'm like, oh, because of the, you know, they're all yeah. the fat, the calories and all that. Carbs, and yeah, I'm like, sugar. oh my God. And, but they were across the street, out the door at Hardy's. But something about the South is their mom and dad, their grandparents, they all ate biscuits. This is what I was raised yeah. on. 
and they'll have more calorie and more fat content than a cinnamon roll, but it's okay because that's what they've done all their life. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God. So (laughs) we had to close and that was rough because that was probably first time. Well, not the first because I think anorexia when I got sick was a downer for me. And I was like, oh my God. So I went and worked with um, someone that I went to college with at another restaurant that was full service bar and everything in town in Auburn. And that was Ryan's and Legends. And we opened that up. And then Golden Crowd was up the street. Now is a good time to take our first break to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back to talk about what it was like opening the first place that you owned. When you're a restaurant, a lot can happen suddenly, and the unexpected can be expensive. For example, when you're short-staffed during the busy month, you can't delay hiring, and the slower season still comes with bills to pay. Or how about when your appliances break down or your new location needs more equipment? You have to work fast to keep the kitchen running smoothly. You don't have time to wait around for a traditional loan process to get the cash you need. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Zinch, a direct lender that gets businesses like yours. Since 2004, Zinch has made the financing process for small and medium businesses fast, flexible, and inclusive with easy-to-understand solutions. If your restaurant is generating over $10,000 in monthly revenue and has been in business for at least six months, Zinch can fund up to $250,000 in less than two days, so much faster than the traditional lenders. To apply, just fill out a simple application form and provide a copy of your four most recent bank statements. It's that easy. No drawn-out paperwork to keep track of and no lengthy waiting to see if you are qualified. You'll get a response from Zinch within 24 hours. Plus, Zinch's specialists are just a phone call away. They'll guide you every step of the way and help you choose the terms that best fit your business needs. Save yourself the stress of financing through the bank. Apply for Zinch. Right now, Zinch is waiving application fees for my listeners, a value of $250. Go to financingthatworks.com to get pre-qualified and to see how much financing you can get with Zinch. Don't wait. Go to financingthatworks.com today. Loans made or arranged pursuant to a California finance lender's law license. So we're back. Um, Before we get into what it was actually like to open Niffers, and this is your first restaurant that you own, is there anybody that you think or any points before this that you think you grew the most as a professional, a point where you really kind of were able to wrap your, your mind completely around what it means to be a restaurant owner and what it was going to take? Well, when we first opened up, I had no idea. I mean, I knew, you know, I knew how to run a restaurant. Um, I didn't know how to do the back of the house. I was more the front of the house. Um, so I was never, there was never really any fear there. Is that, I mean, I I was comfortable. You don't, you can't fear what you don't know. Right. So I was like, you know, I think probably, you know, later on when, you know, I had partner problems and money because we didn't know how to, we knew how to run a restaurant, but we didn't know the numbers. Yeah. Um, You know, and back then, you know, I look at my burger prices back there, it was like $1.99, you know, but of course, minimum right do you look at things the world's changed a lot yes and you're like you know now i look at it i'm like oh my god how did i even survive i I feel like especially in the south things were less expensive oh my god yeah yeah it was you know and i have my original menu still in my restaurant and it's at a booth and people are like no way i'm like yeah i mean it was absolutely crazy um but i really you know 
and we opened one in Clemson, South Carolina, and back in '94, and we didn't make it, and we lost a lot of money, um, and that's kind of where we closed at right after '96 or '97, um, and that's kind of where we I broke off with uh, my partner. I like to use the analogy of getting in our airplane, zooming up to uh, you know thirty thousand feet, and right. getting the big picture of the story of Niffers. So, what you, you, today you have three locations. Yes. the The second location you opened was in '94, but that closed. Yes. And then when when did this the uh, two thousand and one? Two thousand and one was when you opened the second second location. Yes. <laughs> so if you can kind of look at it, and you're going to see something, it's I get a ten year itch. Okay. Because my third one was... 2011? Yes. Yeah. So it's hitting 10 years. So I will not... Nope, 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 (laughs) nope. Don't go there. Don't even say it. Um, But And it's funny. I get a 10-year itch. So that means I get bored. um, And I need some new excitement. And, you know, back then before my lake restaurant, I had a property that had a lot of land. And basically... Um, I would mow grass, yeah. a lot of grass, and that's when the mind would think. And I thought, hmm. So now I don't have that land, but I'm never allowed to ride on a lawnmower anymore because the mind yes. is thinking. And <laughs> my partner's like, nope, 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 nope. And um, it's it's riding on a lawnmower and sweeping. I love to sweep in a restaurant. And people go, God, you sweep because it's very to me. It's very Relaxing. I like sweeping too. I love it. Yeah, it's a thought. Mopping too is fun. Yeah, no one bothers you. You're out there. It's just a beautiful stroke, and it's you know you nice. Get all the pieces. It's like you result. Just, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. right then that dirty. Inst- yep, clean, clean, perfect. <laughs> and to me, that's you know how I am. So I love it. Um, so my staff to this day, when they see me sweeping, they're like, like "Oh shit, 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 something's coming <laughs> up." You know. Um, so I think probably you know when we had that. Uh, break of losing that restaurant it really it taught me a lot and it taught me a lot because i had to learn numbers so let's go back let's really get into it so 1991 um let's really just go chronologically from here now that we have the big picture let's get back in our helicopter and hover over these little like this get a little closer to the ground right so 1991 you open your first restaurant how'd you get the money (laughs) That was the hardest thing because you know no one would give you money and we ran into did have 10 years of experience yeah, but you didn't own the building, so we rent. And if you have nothing to, uh, no, nothing to put against it, right? You're, yeah. you're not going to go loan. So we yeah. went to banks and banks and banks. We didn't get it from a bank, so we got it through our parents. Okay. So we all had them co-sign. But this is something. How much do you think you needed to open the first one? Huh? I don't think we even thought about it because we did everything in it. But we opened our first one at forty thousand dollars. Wow. Yes, and we did every thing in there that we could do and And this is auburn right og auburn yeah auburn alabama yep so Uh, okay so the first one i'm looking at the location now on online forty thousand dollars um was it enough yeah i mean to us i mean you know because we didn't know any better i mean um we just knew the business we didn't really we were never taught the numbers and what it took and the uh i wasn't you know um the projections, nothing like that. Yeah. I mean, we could do a checklist, yeah. and we did all that. You can and we make could people do, happy. You can make well, good food. Right. But, the important you know, stuff. We didn't know the IRS and the sales tax and all that. So there were some rough times um, when we opened up the Clemson one. It was really rough. I mean, where your check would be on your refrigerator 
Well, let's, let's, 10, 12 of them. We'll get to Clemson. I feel like uh, there's some lessons there. But what were your what were your big looking knowing what you know now with all these systems you have and how smooth your businesses are running and just with all this wealth of knowledge you've garnered garnered since 1990 or I should say 1982 from being in the industry um, nearly 40 years. What do you know now reflecting back at that time if you could give yourself advice and things you could have done or you should have done differently? Well, I probably, knowing what I know now, I kind of look back and go, oh, shit, how did we make it? Because we didn't, we didn't know it. We how didn't, did you make it? To be honest with you, I really don't know how we made it. I think the only way we made it, because who we were and how the people felt when they came in the restaurant and when they left. It can, it's enough. I think that the, we forget that really at the end of the day, what people are looking for, I, I believe, I think business is all about relationships. So if you're willing to do the work and you're willing to show up and people like you and, and they're satisfied with the work that you put out, you can stay in business, but you might be treading water. Right. You, you are not be getting anywhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, we did good and our customers were happy and I still have the same customers that I did open. Um, so, I mean, did we, we made it? But were we rich? No, but we didn't think that way either. Yeah. We just How did you think? That we're doing a great job and everyone loves us yeah. and everyone loves Niffers. And, you know, I wanted it to the point um, that if you were a student and you were in a class and they, someone said, I got a job at Niffers, my goal was they were going, no way. I want a job there so bad. That's kind of what motivated me. I wanted people to come in and work in that to feel proud. I mean, to put you on the pedestal and going, who, why wouldn't you want to work at? You had social capital. Yeah. And to me that, you know, being up on that pedestal and being, you know, I was always known as a swimmer. Well, before we had money, you know, before we used money as a way to trade, like where, what, how we, what determined status was social status, right? Who, how many people, how many, you know, how many, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? How many people liked you, but really what your network was and the, and the people that you could recruit to go to battle with the tribe down the street, you right. know, like, right. like it's social status is what determined your value right. in, in, I don't know, like the tribal life, yeah. you know, like how many people like me? So it's still a part of us. We still want people to like us. It's still really important oh, yeah. to know, like we have, I have your approval, right? Right. Me, the restaurant owner has the guests, the community's approval and they like us and they keep on coming in. That feels good. That's, that's payment, right? It's a form of payment. Right. It's not going to pay the bills. It didn't pay the bills, but, but it's it, going to make you happy. It was well worth what we did. Yeah. So, and you know, I, from day one, I, I loved going into work. I mean, it, you know, it's a party yeah. every day, and um, and we did well, and that's what mattered. And then, yeah. you know, it was when we wanted to get bigger is when we realized, okay, that's not all that it takes to run a business. Yeah. And so that's when we were like, okay, we need to learn. So where were you, say, in 1990? So you opened your second first second location in clemson mm-hmm. is that clemson north carolina south 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 carolina We're so clemson, that's how far is that from your three hours three hours three three and a half yeah. um what and you opened in 94 yeah i think it was 94 and what how long were you in business before you closed? not long uh, two years two years so close to say 96 ish yeah right after after the olympics because uh atlanta olympics because you're wondering if you would have been there no i was wondering if i was how long it was going to take me to get through atlanta to get to the store because I was in oh, Auburn. Oh, the traffic. The traffic. So I know that because I would drive back because I didn't live there. Uh-huh. So we had we had apartment up there and then, you know, I would have the Auburn stores. So I would come and then I would 
have to drive. So I know that was sometime after 96, cause, but it was, I hate to say it, it was easier to get through Atlanta during the Olympics than it ever is because they were playing for it. They planned for it, the traffic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was great. Yeah. I mean, that they knew the concerns. And, yeah. you know, I don't know if you've been to Atlanta. You've seen Recently, that. Recently. Yeah. That traffic. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it wild. gives me a heart attack when I have to go through <laughs> there, you know. But, um, you know, it was best. It was the best driving I ever had. I was like, oh, yeah. So I know it was sometime after that. So I'm, I'm thinking late. Well, the Olympics had to be in June of 96, so maybe the fall of 96. So where were where was Niffers to say, like 93 leading into 94? When did the narrative of Location 2 really start to become something that was going to be a reality? When we knew we were going to open up Clemson? Yeah. Came out in uh, one of the restaurant National Restaurant Magazine. Okay. And I don't know why we, you know, we brought in someone else. I can't remember who we brought in as a manager, and he was going to help us develop another location. And so we looked in the restaurant, National Restaurant Magazine came out, and they were hitting the spots in the South, the growth. Yeah. And so we started traveling, and, you know, we're young still. We're like, yeah, we're going to, let's do it. And we found, went to Clemson, and Clemson is the same architect as Auburn University. And so it kind of was, we thought that it was the same type of town. Um, and so we found a location. I mean, we just did it like that and leased the building. Um, to be honest with you, Eric, I can't even remember where we got that money. So we had to be making some money if we opened it. Um, well, I was thinking that's kind of where I was going with this. Because were, were you profitable? You had money? Were you well, we had to because we... Um, I think we took out a little loan, but we didn't take out much. So, um, you know, that's kind of crazy when you do have partners when one does one thing and the other. So you really don't know what's happening. (laughs) You know, you're like, uh. So what was your lane? What were you doing? Mine was front of the house. Okay. Staff, training, you know. Major um, D, host. Everything. Yeah. And what about your partner? Because at this point, you're still partners with Jack. Yeah. So he did more of the money in. So. And why? And this is four years was around the time you opened the second location. Also, I'm curious. Do you think that it was a, what, what, your your other locations today, for example, how far are they? I don't know the South that well. Um, as as Auburn. So the Auburn location from the lake, which is lake is the second uh, location. Or so Lake Martin was the second location. Right. So that's 30 miles away. And then what about Apalika? Opelika. Opelika. Is um, seven miles. Seven miles. So it's big Auburn. difference. Big difference from um, the, your first second location, right? Which was, I'm guessing, three thir- three hours of driving in the south, probably somewhere around 200 miles away. Yeah, a little over. It's yeah. uh 240. Yeah, 240 miles. I away. I just drove fast. <laughs> the speed limits in the south are faster too, aren't they? Yes, yeah. but I drove fast. <laughs> <laughs> so the point I'm trying to make was: Did you learn that it's hard to open a second location, especially when it's not down the street? Oh yes, very hard because you know I feel that. One reason that uh, not locally restaurants do better than maybe corporate is because the owner's involved. I mean, yeah, I know when I go into a restaurant if the owner's there involved or not. There's just a different yeah. vibe, um, and that's what happened there. We weren't, you know, we were there, but then when we weren't there, then things happened in the Auburn location, and yep. it wasn't like we could be there the next morning and say, okay, what the hell's going yeah. on? At least with partners, you can divide and conquer. Right. And, you know, you know we didn't have two places cameras back yeah. then and all that. And um, so it was a, 
I would never do that again. I say I would never be that far away. Yeah, to- I, I get worried when I hear people talk about opening a second location, or if they say they're franchising and they franchise across the country, did they contract out somebody? I'm just like, well, what are you doing? Like, right. But you, you know, anyway, I think I think there's a lesson there. I, I like the idea of centrific circles. Right. So opening barely just just a little bit further away from this the first location, right. and then a little bit further away the second one, and then like own a region. Right, get, like have that brand. Well, you deep. did that brand, so you know yeah. you worked so hard to get that brand. Yeah. Then why are you going to take it where nobody three hundred miles? Where you're where, new again, right? So yeah. it's just basically starting all over again. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we learned a lesson there. Plus, you know? just the obvious, like you can literally get to places faster. You're not spending six hours round trip, right? So like these things matter. So and I don't, you know we had to have a whole you know apartment up there and all that. So even your overhead was different exactly. because. You had to have a place to stay. Yeah. And, you know, you just didn't go up there for the day and turn around. Exactly. So, um, and it was hard on your personal life mm-hmm. because you were gone. And um, so I, I don't think that it was probably the best decision. So 2001, well, let's talk. So the evolution from 1994, or sorry, 1996 was when you closed uh, your, your first second location. Right, you said it was yep. about two years. You opened from yep. ninety four to yep. ninety six. Yep. So there's about a five year period from when you opened your second second location, right? Which was uh, we said Lake the Lake, Lake Martin Lake Martin. Um, how did the business evolve from ninety six to two thousand one, and what was different about the second second location? Different in like as far as what did you learn from the first time of trying to go <laughs> from one to two? That you, what were the well, mistakes you didn't I, I make? I think I was more comfortable than I was when I did the other one because I was running the whole whole show. Yeah. And so did you learn more about the numbers at this point? Because your business oh God, partner yeah. is gone, so now you're the sole proprietor. Yeah, you had. I had to learn. I didn't have any choice. So, um, so let me ask it. Let me frame it this way: How did you personally transform as a business owner during this this this? Uh, well, I learned period? that there was, you know, that it wasn't going to be all fun and games, <laughs> and. Uh, that there was the ugly, I call it the ugly part of the business where you had it because I don't like numbers. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't like being. I'm with you, sister. You know, <laughs> I'm like, nope, that's not where, the, you know, it is where your money is, yeah. but that's not how you get the money there. Yeah. Um, so I had a hard time. Um, and so I had to learn that. But then my partner, personal partner, Dina, does know numbers. Yes. And so she was a big help to me in that area that I if there's any ladies up there that are good with numbers I am single and I would love somebody <laughs> to take over that part of my life so I guess you know that was the easy part for me or easier because I had someone to help me and yeah. um, teach me and you know we learned and and then you know at that time I learned a lot you know I reached out to learn more and I reached out more to my brother who was in the financial world and he helped me more. And, you know, when I talk about numbers, I mean, I did, I learned food costs and all that because, you know, Quincy's, you had to have all the checks and balances. So that wasn't an issue. You know, you, you got to learn, you know, recipe cards. Well, you know, we put it, something on a menu and we just put it out there and we came up with a price. Mm-hmm. You know, you rarely, you know, worked on it and going, oh, this costs You mean you weren't menu engineering? You, you didn't no, have recipe cards? No. <laughs> you know, and you're like, what? And, and then you learn, oh my God. And then you learn that, you know, it's not just food costs and all that. There's a lot more that it costs. So, yeah. you know, I think, you know, I learned that. And then I knew that I was doing a better job. And then that's kind of where, when the second location came up, was like, I, I think I can, I'm getting an itch. Yeah. You know, I need, 
a challenge. How was the business doing? What was the state of the business? Your money's obviously coming in. You're yeah, money was coming in. Um, you're still very busy. You're still the place everybody wants to work. Right. And, you know, we were, you know, back then we were doing, I mean, we were doing great. And I just had uh, a friend that was, had, you know, land and all that. And so he bought the property for me, for us, and we rented it. So that was easy. And then, you know, we did most of the work. We did take a loan out. But you know it was maybe a hundred thousand, um, hundred and ten, I think. And then we, you know, op- and the reason I opened the lake, to be honest with you, was my I moved my mom from California to live on Lake Martin, and I would drive, you know, to her house on every Sunday. And there was a restaurant out there called Oscars, and they were always blown away. And I'm like, mm, someone needs to give them some competition. And so <laughs> I thought I need to do that. And I really the reason I kind of I got an itch but I also needed one more restaurant because I had some really good people and I wanted to move them up Mm. into management bingo and I thought you know what I'm going to open this this person could get this job I could give them this lifestyle and so that's kind of how you know because you want to take care of these people they've been with you and it's like that is yeah keep going sorry you know I'm going to give them that opportunity to make a living and you know a good life and so that's kind of how my mind gets set in that way. Also a challenge for me, but I was also helping my staff, you know, because they're family. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'm going to do it. And so I did it. So yeah. so I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned. One of the many aha moments I had in this journey of trying to understand the dynamic of the restaurant industry. Two things determine growth. Cash flow and people. Right. And when you're busting at the seams with people and they – there's no room for growth because you, when you clearly see that you have somebody in the pipeline that could be a GM, right. but that role is already taken and the AGM role is taken. And there's two or three people who are totally capable of doing that, who maybe even want it. Like They're going to go find that opportunity somewhere else. So right. unless you grow to, to create space for other people to move into those roles – you're gonna you're holding yourself back, right? You know, so the growth is the next thing. So you can be the opportunity. So when it becomes about everyone else and opportunity for them, not you, and you put them first, right. that's when it comes back around to right. you. And and you do you put them you know first, and so that's kind of where my thought process. And I thought, well, I'm gonna do it. And we found some property about a mile from Oscars and a mile and a half from where my mom lived, and I was like, huh. And so we did it, and we did the same thing there. We we did all the painting, we did everything, and um, you know, so we didn't open restaurants and have people come in and do it. I mean, we had, of course, the electrician and the did plumber. You get, did you get this finance the the second second we location? We did it, yes. Okay, and that was due, you know, mainly because of my reputation with Auburn Niffers. Yeah. Um, I don't. I'm trying to think if I had a co-signer with my mom, but I don't think I did on that one. So. Let's talk about the next 10 years then. Because from like, uh, I think it was 96. Oops. Sorry, I'm looking at my notes over here. So from, it was 2001 Mm -hmm. when we're looking at this, right? Is when when you opened the the Lake uh, Niffers. Um, How did the business from 2001 to 2011 transform? Because that's when you went from three. And going from one... The two is a challenge, but they say going from two to three is really when like the the wheels start to fall off. Well, I probably wouldn't have made that um, move if I probably didn't meet David and Fred because so, okay, when did was, you meet them? Uh, two thousand one, two thousand 
2010, I think, or nine, where okay. I started, you know, knowing, and then I opened up, no, excuse me, 211, 212, I think, so that's when I had the lake, I'm thinking in that range, and, you know, by then, going to them, I, you know, learned so much, mm-hmm. I mean. Who's David and Fred? Who are they? Uh, David Scott Peters and Fred Langley. So David Scott and Fred were together, and they were, I can't even remember what the old company was called. I think it was the Restaurant Expert. Yes, Restaurant Expert. And um, so I learned so much with them, and then I, you know, a third one to me was piece of cake. We can do that. And it was the same reason, the itch, and I still had some people I needed to move around. So how did you discover uh, the Restaurant Expert? So I'll never forget. Yeah, go for it. Uh, David Scott sent out a direct mail piece, and I think it was a triple fold. Thing. How'd you get your your, your address? I don't. He, I think he probably like just picked up restaurants <laughs> or whatever. You know, direct mail people can find everything. So I got it. I'll never forget. I went to the mailbox and I pulled this thing out and it says, "You know, only work so many hours and you could be at the beach and you could be here and da da da." I'm like, wow. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, this. I got to go to this. You know, seminar. And it was in Vegas at the Plaza Hotel. Good excuse to go to Vegas. Yes. Too, right? And so I showed Dina and Dina's like, oh, I said, come on. I'm working too much. You know, I'm working too much. You would be game. And so we took my mom even and we went to Vegas. And I mean, I <laughs> big time. I was like, this is it. I'm, I'm doing it. And I loved it. And so what know. was David sharing on stage? I'm assuming it was David speaking because that's kind of from what I understand of the um, David was out there, the visionary, the, the, the kind of like the salesperson, uh, and Fred was very much like the, the implementer, the, right. the behind the scenes, the the guy that would help on board. And like, David the, was just a great um, is not was great motivational. Yeah, and you go in there and you just you know I mean he could there was rough but he taught you systems in a yeah and we all had systems but the way that you had to hold them accountable and his you know, thought process, you know, the thing that one thing I'll never forget was how, you know, you know, you have checklists for everything and, but are we really going to have a checklist to clean a toilet? And you would listen to that and you're like, you know, there's not anyone on my staff that cleans a toilet like me, mm-hmm. you know, cause I was always taught, you know, whatever you touch, your name is on it. Mm-hmm. So if I'm cleaning a toilet, my name is on that toilet. Yeah. So it's going to be 110 it's going to be the best you could go for a swim in that toilet hell yeah you are you know because i touched it and that was my job and but you assume that everyone thinks that same way and david did a uh, checklist for his son on how to clean a toilet you know in the bathroom and i was like oh this is this is what i need so was that the first aha moment that you literally need a checklist for everything yes yeah you need a checklist and you need a why and you need to show them how Mm -hmm. um if not then you're not going to be on the beach because you're going to be cleaning toilets because so, no one does it right. So it was like from this experience of listening to him talk, uh, what what did he talk about? Going back to that time, if you can remember what, what really is like. Holding stuff. people accountable, mm. systems, um, you know, do it right. Um, you know, the coaching, the just the way to, you know, treat people, the evaluation, you know, all that. And you just, it's things that I knew, but you just, couldn't put it all together yeah, get and to click together yeah, yeah and you're like i know this i know this and mm-hmm. um it was just 
this is what I'm going to do. And so, you know, I got into the champion group and that's where I met a lot of these people that are part of the elite. And I just loved it. And so let's start talking about your, and business. it was fun going to Vegas. So yeah, right. 2009 mm-hmm. was when you kind of get this exposure and mm-hmm. you start learning and, and sur- surrounding yourself. I mean, I think the power of a mastermind is so important. I used to host masterminds, something I would like to get back into, but I, I pivoted to focus on traveling and right. getting on the road so I can sit across the table from people in real time right. in front of each other. Um, but when you got this inspiration, when you got this new knowledge, Going, how did you take it back to your business? So, what did you start doing? What was the first thing you did in your business that you got from this group, this champion group? I think probably you know teaching my managers more about holding people accountable, um, more how-to books. How did you start doing things differently to hold people accountable? Um, well, our checklist we had, but we never would check to make sure that they did it. Yeah. You know, so, you, you know, you get, of course they're going to check it, but did you check that they did it? So how do you check that they did it? How do you know? So what does that look you go, like? You go and you check and so you, you say, oh, let's show me the toilet. Okay. You know, and you know, to this day, I still fight that, you know, go to the table and make sure the salt and pepper was clean. And it's not that you're trying to, uh, like, you know, Fred said, training is nagging, you know? It's an opportunity for you as a manager to high five that person that they did a good job. Yeah. And if you don't do this and you don't check, when are you going to give out high fives? Yeah. It's an opportunity when, to see their work done right, right. And to appreciate their hard work. Right. And yeah. if you don't have that, you never, you know, people never get that. You get more of a nagging or more of you didn't do this or whatever. And then you have a checklist. You can say, great job. Or, hey, next time. Let's try to do it this way. Let me show you. Don't correct the person, correct the process. Right, and this is how we do it. So, you know, it's coaching. So we, you know, have coaching sessions, and it's just that. But to me, I like it because it gives you the opportunity to say, high five, you did great, or you didn't. So the major difference, the first thing you did is you had the checklist, but you never had a process, a checklist for checking the checklist. No, I never had a problem when it was just me and one other manager. <laughs> when you were doing the work. But when you get eight, nine managers, you have to have those systems in place that they're holding the staff accountable and I'm holding them accountable. So you have to create that. So like you create systems and checklists for the frontline staff, you need to create another layer of checklists for the managers to, right. to keep them Be- accountable. Yes, because the checklist will tell that manager also what I want my restaurant to look like. Yeah. So it's not just a checklist for the employee is for the manager to know this is what I expect. Got it. You know, because a lot of managers, I think, don't know what the owner wants. And, you know, a checklist to me, if you have no idea what I want, then you're not doing the checklist, Mm -hmm. you know. So what was the second thing you started to do? So the first thing was just getting your your checklist dialed in and making sure there was a process for holding your checklist accountable. Then I think the second thing that I learned was the prime cost. I would never... I never, even through, I never heard that word prime. I'm like, what? Prime cost? So for the people randomly listening to this episode today who might be new to the podcast, uh, what is prime cost? Well, that would be your food and beer and liquor and your payroll with taxes. And so to me, I look at it as basically your fix. Not fix, but it's always going to be there. And, you know, rent's going to be there, which that is fixed. So I guess prime cost would be a variable, but... It's it's the major expenses that are aren't, aren't right. variable. Yeah, that are I mean, relatively. When are you going to have a you know a thirty percent power bill? You're yeah. not. Yeah. But you don't 
look at it and you don't break. And you know, you did inventory all the time, but you really never put them together and realize, you know, okay, when you put prime costs together, it's 55%. Well, that's 55 cents of every dollar going to that. Well, just imagine if you dropped it to 45, Mm -hmm. that's 10 cents more in your pocket, Mm -hmm. you know, so you're, your goals as an owner changes. It's like, oh wow. So when did you first know what your prime cost or what your yeah, what your prime cost was? Like when oh you God. when you figured that out, was it oh, a shock? Oh yeah. What, what, what was <laughs> it? I don't even remember. I don't I don't know. Yes. I'm gonna probably eighty. Eighty. Where me, is it today? On, let me think where my Yeah. No, I'm not eighty, that's a little high. Seventy five percent probably. Where where would you say it is today? On the average, on as a company, yeah, uh, 60, 61. So you know, you, you dropped it, say fifteen percent. Oh yeah. yeah, I'm making money. Yeah, yes, and you were profitable before. So let's say you were at five percent profit. Right. I'm yes. Yeah. So that's a big jump, right? And that's a lot of money, and that compounds, especially when you start scaling and adding locations. Right. So, what was the process to get from seventy five percent to fifty percent? Well, learning, you know, learning through the systems, the controls, payroll, um, learning recipe cards. So what is a recipe card? Recipe card is basically when you bring a menu item on that you put, you know, what the recipe is, the portions and all that, and it gives you a mount, and then it tells you what the price is of that menu item. So if it's $3 and you divide it into your sale, that you're going to sell it for, and that gives you your percentage. So it could be a 28%, so like my best item right now and it's been with me since day one is corn nuggets which is a fried corn nugget and honey mustard and it runs at a 19 percent well that's pretty damn good so i'm not getting rid of corn nuggets basically (laughs) they have bought a lot of things i'm very i i don't care for corn nuggets but they have done wonders for me margins yes um and so, but you didn't, you know, back then we didn't look at that. Yeah. You know, we put it on the menu. And, you know, if I look back and David and, and Fred will tell you, my menu was over 150 menu items. Wow. So um, that was hard. Why con- is that hard? Because that's a lot of items. That's a lot of items that you have to pay for. It's mm, a lot of money on shelves. Right. And it's a lot of controlling waste. Yeah. And, you know, when you have that many items, you know, you might sell that item twice. Well, if you sell the item only twice and you're dealing with kids, how the hell are they going to remember how to make that item? Yeah. So yeah. the consistency and the quality. It took them probably four years, four to five years for me to make that change. I fought and I fought and I fought with them. So it took uh, Restaurant Systems Pro or Fred. David and Fred. Oh, God, Fred. Yes. They'll tell you, yes. Four to five years to get you to, what, the, the slice down your, the, yes, some yes, items off your Yes, I wouldn't why were you so Why were you so resistant? Because I wanted my people to come in, my customers to come in, and, you know, one of our goals was that if you wanted Mexican and this person wanted a steak or a burger, you could come in the same place. Mm. And so I put so much on the menu that I was going to get everyone satisfied because when you're in a college town, it's eight people going out to eat. And this is what happens. They get in the car and they go, what are you in the mood for? What are you in the mood for? You know? And so you get all these different. And I thought, no, 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 no. We're going to get everyone happy yeah. with one item that they're all going to choose to come to Nerfers. And so that's, you know, that's why I'd, I'm like, no, you can't take that off. Someone will be pissed. So it took the, for, sorry, I cut you short. Go ahead. No, I, you know, if you took that item off, someone would be upset, a customer, mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're a customer, you know, feeling, it's like, 
when you look at it now, it's like, come on. You know, I only stole 20 for the year. Get over it, (laughs) you know? So, But back then, you didn't think that way. So what did they do or what changed for you to hop off the fence or to to take a a leap of faith in what they were coaching you to do? What changed? I think because I took that leap and I thought, okay, I'm going to give it a shot because I could always add it back if I didn't like my results. And so I did it gradually. I didn't just do it all at once. Um, And so I gradually took it off and you know now i mean they'll tell you that i'm probably still a little bit heavy and i would disagree with them but um i'm on a front and back menu where before it was six pages you know but you know you look at my i might have i have what probably 21 burgers so that's 21 burgers but it's the same damn protein so it's not where it's absolutely that crazy so i think i'm much better than i was but I mean, I'm looking at your menu. I, I don't think. I mean, there's definitely a lot of options, but it's nowhere near 150. Oh God, no. So, what, if you had to guess, how many options would you have on your menu right now? I'm going to say 85. I okay. should know this because I just did the menu last. I mean, week. about half. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. And how has that affected your business? Yeah, it, it, it probably affected me better because I'm more controllable in my numbers. I probably yeah. wouldn't be at the prime cost that I am at. Yeah. So you know, and. Uh, other thing, you know, with you know, you talked about recipe cards. A lot of times, you know, people did not do that back in the day before RSP because it wasn't easy to do. Can you imagine sitting down every week when your prices change with Cisco? Yeah. Especially now. I don't know how anyone could do this business without these systems because now if a price change, it automatically changes in your recipe card. Mm-hmm. So you know yeah. where you know, years ago, you're crazy if you think I'm going to, you know, back then I had to do everything handwrite, you know, written. I mean, when you purchase in an uh, invoice, it was all hand yep. and we broke it up in categories. You know, now you don't have to, but you can look and say, example, wings, right? Went from, well, right now they're at $64, but five months ago they were $162 yeah. for a case. Yeah. Well, that makes a big difference in the information that you get makes you aware now am i going to promote wings at a table no but i would have never known that if if i had 150 menu items right because it would be too time consuming and now with a system i can be at the beach and look at it and go oh no 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 let's not promote wings yeah, you know yeah. tell your staff back off you yeah. know that's yeah. not something we want to sell what so you're smarter in running a business i guess you could say so so it has made a difference. So checklist, uh, menu engineering, menu menu recipe pricing cards, uh, and I mean, so that was the first two things. But was there another thing that happened in your business that they or beyond, maybe it wasn't even to do with them? But any, like, what was the next evolution for you in your business? Um, I mean, you know, that's a big one. And I think the other thing that I think I got out of you know is meeting with everyone every three months or when you can. Yeah. Because as owners, we don't have anyone to teach us anymore. We have to go out and seek the knowledge. Okay. So when you say meeting with everyone, you mean meeting with your peers. Right. Other restaurateurs. Yeah. And with this, you know, this group that we're in, you get, and why are we going to invent the wheel when someone else is doing it? Yeah. You know, it's like, we're all, you know, in the game. We're all tired. Don't invent it. Just see what everyone else is doing and go, oh my God. That's a great idea. Yeah. Why didn't I do this? So you started doing this. You said I think it was like right around nineteen nine or nine, like oh no, sorry, two thousand. I think it was um, nine. I think it was two thousand eleven. Two thousand. We just talked about it. Well, you opened your third location in two thousand eleven. I think I it was probably the 
2010. It was right before then. So they got you to the point where you felt like you had the systems and, and where you didn't need to be physically in every spot because you recreated yourself in these systems and the checklists. And yep. uh, you were now, you know, making more money where you could probably pay people. You had now money to probably pay people a little bit more to go be right. in those other places yeah. too, right? Yeah. Um, so when you went from two to three, what was that like for you personally? I don't really think that it was the um, going from two to three that was the issue. It was the times that we were going through. Um, I don't, it wasn't that hard, but the, I think that's probably, I'm going to say 2013, what's that, 10 years? Well, maybe the last eight years. I think the hardest is the work ethic has changed. And so, Jumping to three and trying to get three group of employees on the same level and that coaching um, was probably because you're spread out. Yeah, that's why I have 125 employees at you know all throughout um, my location for my third one's not great, so that was is a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, other than I mean, other than that. I think it was pretty. I think the third restaurant was pretty easy, other than, well, you know, we went through a lot of changes. Yeah, what do you mean by that, though? So, what were the changes that were happening that were a challenge? I think staffing has, you know, everyone, it did start after COVID, but it started before. I mean, so we're talking to right now, 2011 is when you opened your third location. Right. So, what was, what was the change that happened? What specific change? Are you talking like a cultural change? Are you talking about people? Work Culture, ethic? the way okay. that we work. Okay. And so you're teaching more on work ethic than the restaurant business. Is that kind of? Yeah. No, I hear you saying. It's different. Mm-hmm. You know, if I look back at my past employees that I've, I have had before my third location, um, it was easy. You told them what to do and it was no problem. They yeah. knew it. They did it the best they could. Then the third one came along, and so it's later. It, it was harder. You see the change of people, the culture, the work ethic. I know you're trying to be careful. It sounds like you're trying to be careful because you don't want to sound like you're insulting the new generation of professionals. Yes. Yes. But at the same time, I think it's important that we do talk about this because I think like what could possibly have caused that change? Why do you think people don't get it like they used to? I, I that is a million dollar question. When you find out that answer, I want to know it because. What are some of your ideas? Uh, you're hesitant. My, I don't blame. I you. think it's social media. Okay. I think it's uh, how we have working parents, mm. both working parents, okay. and so when we come home, we're not teaching our children the same way as maybe we did in the years earlier. I see it at the restaurants where, um, because I'm a family restaurant, and I would see kids running around and, you know, and it's the minor things, but I think when you've been in the business as long as I have, you know, years ago, you would never have a child have everything on the floor without the parent saying, honey, whatever, this is not. We don't do that. Right. Nowadays, you're not going to find a clean floor. Not. It's going to be, basically my question has been, did any food get in the mouth? You know, because it's, well, you know, people thought, oh, Keely, that's, but it's not minor. That's when we're taught, you know, that when we're at a table, 
you know, this is what we do. And it, I kind of see that, like, I really feel that this generation of these young kids is going to be even worse. Yeah. Um, you know, I have people in my area that are college kids um, driving nicer cars than I have that I've worked all my life to have. Um, you know, so I think maybe, you know, and my brothers have been, you know, I want to give my children more than I had had when growing up. And I kind of sometimes think that's a little bit of an issue there. So, so let's bookmark this. Cause I feel like that's going to, what you're dropping on us. We'll bring this back to the, the conversation. Um, because that's like one of the last questions I asked my guests is where are we today and what needs to change? What's, what's, what's wrong with our industry and how can we start moving into the future a little bit more intentionally and becoming better? And I, I think that, we can unpackage each one of these items because I do want to pull back some layers on that. But before we get into like where we are today and where we're headed, I'm curious. Um, 2001 to 2023, right? Um, how has your business continued to improve? What's different about your business today in terms of systems, processes, procedures, protocols, uh, culture? Uh, how are you evolving with the times? Because you said 1% better every day. Right. And that was back in 2011. You've been continuing to improve. So what has the evolution of your business looked like to get to the point where you're still relevant today? Uh, I mean, I think we're improving because, you know, we're keeping up with times. We're keeping up with the menu, what people want and what they eat, you know, the numbers. Um, I think, you know, we're in a state now that you can't find help and your managers are tired. I'm tired from working positions and, but you're afraid to hold them accountable because you don't want to close down the grill that night. Mm. And, you know, where before you never thought that you, these generations, if they don't want to come to work, they don't come to work. Yeah. They just, I want to go to a party. They go to a party. And they're not taught. And I did it, you know, when I was an employee at Quincy's. And I did it, and it stayed with me. And I remember going to a party. I wanted to go to a party, and I was scheduled to work that night. And I called in. I had my, you know, I remember, and I told them I was sick and whatever. <laughs> and For those who are not watching the YouTube channel, Keely was plugging her nose to say <laughs> sick. And <laughs> I went to the party. And I never realized what me going to that party did to my teammates, to my managers, mm. till I got in management, I was like, oh shit, yeah. you know, I can't believe it. It throws and a wrench in the entire system. The whole system. Yeah. And most likely you're going to ruin someone night off because one of your good employees that you know that you can count on is off and you have to call them in and you do this. Hey, can you do me a favor? Can you come in because such and such? So it's always the good ones that yeah, get the... that no longer stay with you because right. they're getting called in on their days off. Right. And they're like, because it's always the good ones that bitch. Yeah. You know, the bad ones are the ones that get off at night and have a beer and you're sitting with the good ones and they go, oh, that night was so easy. And they want to go, yeah, because we did all your work. It's never, the, you know... <laughs> It's always the bad ones are like, oh, yeah, it was a great evening. I'm like, yeah, shithead, because you didn't do anything. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, and that's when you lose your good people. Yeah. Um, nowadays, there's not, they don't think that way. Mm. They think only about themselves, and they're not thinking about what their actions, how it affects their teammates, mm-hmm. how it affects their customers, how that affects the business, the livelihood of people that are, you know, full-timers. Mm. And so I think, you know, that has really has been a struggle for me big time. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I didn't say in that 
Opelika thing I probably should have said, but right before COVID, I took off for 20 months. Wow. So, and because I was burnt out. And I have always had this um, saying to my employees when they start with me and in meetings, and I still believe it. If you get in the shower in the morning and you're in the shower for 10 minutes, then it's time to find something else to do because you are not happy and excited to start your day. And before that, I always got in the shower, did my business, and I was out and ready to go. And I always tell my, no hard feelings, but when you get to that point in your life, in anything that you do, it's time to look for a change. And I was getting in the shower, and I was in the shower 15, 20 minutes. I was. The water's getting cold. Yeah. And I was like, it's time. And I had the opportunity to move people around, and I knew that I had to do it. And not just for me, but for my staff. Because I knew they felt it. Yeah. And, you know, so I did that. And I had to come back because of COVID, which I'm glad, you know, I did. So you, t- you were also in the position where you could take yes. 20, 20 months. It's almost two-year vacation. Yeah, I almost made it. So <laughs> I was like. Where were you? Oh, I went everywhere. I went cross-country. And then I, I bought a beach house. And um, the first month I left and I went down to the beach. And I was down there for six weeks. Because I didn't even want to be in Auburn. Because when you're still in Auburn, you're still the Niffer lady. And I was like, no, nah, I got to get out of here. And I mean, I had a great time. It was awesome. And then COVID hit and I knew that, you know. And once again, you find out that if you're going to be the owner of a restaurant, you got to be there. Yeah. They don't run it the yeah. same way. So. Yeah. So what, so earlier we talked about how you started implementing systems. How have the systems transformed over time? What are the systems today versus what they were when you started with them? Well, I mean, my systems today is all our RSP. I mean, everything I do is in the computer. So, so on you, that program, everything. Yeah. So everything. what was um, printed sheets and checklists, basically access to the systems that they used and they gave you permission to use. You're buying, you're buying the suite of, of processes that they went out and they found in the world and said, these are the systems that are the best. Those are now digitized. They've right. Been, but the best thing about it, you know, and it was, goes all the way back to 2011 when I got that brochure, you know, from David was the fact I could be on the beach and still run my business. And he actually did it. Right. He planted that seed. So, you know, and it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I still kept tabs and it still paid my bills. And yeah. I was like, here I am at the beach. And, you know, I drove cross country for two months. And, you know, if you didn't have it in the that program, there's no way you could have done How yeah. could you check a checklist? Yeah. So I mean, what is it like? What are the, the systems that you have today that you didn't have in 2011? The additional systems like I'm thinking. Well, I like do the schedule in, in-house. Um, I do the uh, labor allotment, food purchases. Inventory. Um, Everything. Inventory, uh, manager log, inventory, labor, daily paperwork. Everything is in that system basically that we do. So I can look up on my you know computer and see anything. Yeah. So, um, I can't, you And said it took me a long time to get on the schedules, but I do the schedules. You said something earlier. I can't remember what it was, but it's just this idea that, oh, man, what, what was – I can't remember what you said exactly, but it hit a vein with me. But it's just this idea that like – you can't do it alone, right? Mm-hmm. You need you need to recreate yourself and others. You need to give your, your people a picture of perfection. You need to give them accountability. And, you, and unless you're there keeping your, your finger in everything, who wants to do that? Right. You, you need to replace yourself with these systems, processes, and procedures. You need to, to get the return on the work you're doing, which you're able to gain 10 points when you started to really look at like 
costing right. and all these other variables and getting your, your prime cost dialed in and knowing exactly where your money is going and making sure it's done consistently every day. So now you're basically your systems become you. Right. And you, the systems are keeping people accountable because it's that 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 center line. Of right. Who, like this is how we do it. This is the only way. Is there anything we haven't discussed up to this point as far as the things that you started to, to do different before we really talk about this idea of where the industry is today and what you think's to really kind of unpackage these, these these items you dropped on us and like how we're kind of just not quite, I don't know, um, the same workers we used to be. Right. We're not. I mean, so, I mean, what am I doing different now? God. Well, uh, there's one thing that I'm probably doing different now, but it's more of a negative than a positive. What is that? I turn my head more. You turn your head. So why is that negative? Well, my feeling is you shouldn't turn your head when you see something wrong. So give me an example of what would you'd turn your head to. Um, all right. Uh, two years ago, I would say no phones, no phones, no phones. Yeah. Flat out. It's an argument. No, you know, we're not doing it. But now I'll see someone and I'll turn my head. Yeah. Because I'm not going to get that way. Um, especially if it's a kitchen person, which I hope my kitchen people don't listen to this because <laughs> I don't want to close down that position. Yeah. I'm already working a position and I'll do whatever, but don't put me closing down the whole restaurant. Yeah. And so you turn your head because yeah. you don't, you're in that position. It's not like you have someone to replace that person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the hardest thing. Even, you know, even in a college town, you can't find people. Oh, Is it the huh? other locations? That's uh, it's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's, everywhere yeah and you know my lake location is probably better than um most but it's seasonal mm-hmm. you know, there's not many people that live at a lake that are yeah. kids because we're kids yeah in opelika basically my average is 16 year olds yeah you know so you're still you know you're teaching mm-hmm. you're teaching what they should have been taught already and you know that has always been my goal since i've gotten into this business is you might think i'm a bitch right now and i really don't care but if you come back to me 10 years from now and and 15 years for me from now since you worked for me and go oh my god what you taught me never registered till now then that's i did my job yeah i mean i i tend to agree with what you were saying earlier to kind of to, to kind of come full circle and get to this point where you know where are we today uh as far as what's what needs to change with the world. I think technology, social media, uh, phones are great tools. You can't right. deny that they're great tools. They're you, great can't, tools. you can't deny that they're going to, they let it make, they make it possible for you to go to the beach right. and check your numbers. Right. You know, it's because of these tools that you can do this stuff, but I think there's a better balance. There's a time for it. Yeah. I mean, it's like to, right now I'm talking to you for an hour and a half and that thing's been going off. Yeah. But I didn't stop (laughs) and pick it up and go, oh, excuse me, Eric, I have something. Right. Where the young generation, they would do this. Yeah, they they, they can't. The focus is gone because they think this is more important than what's going on right here. I don't think we realize the true impact, uh, the negative. I mean, one thing I'd like to say is, like, yes, all these things can make your life better. Social media can drive traffic to your yes. business. It can be uh, a way for you to compete with the larger brands. And it's, it's, there's a lot of benefits to the technology we yes. have in our life today. We have access to information we never had access to before. We can get access to information that the big corporations and chains had to pay big money for. They paid 
thousands of dollars. There's there's an Amber Alert going off right now. I don't know if you guys can hear that in the background. Yeah, there was uh, one last night. Oh my too. goodness, what's going on with the world today? I know. Well, also here's another variable. That's a perfect ex- example of what phones can do for us, right? Because kids were getting abducted back in yep. the day. Yeah, we just didn't know about it. We didn't it. know. Yeah, so it's there are benefits. Oh, there's benefits for sure. I love it. Yes. I love my phone, and I love all that. But there's a time for it. There's a time for and it. And we have to teach that. And there's that. an addiction. Yes. And I think that it's unprecedented because here's the thing. There hasn't the, – the technology in our lives is evolving so fast that there's no social etiquette associated to right. it. We were brought up – there are certain things, cultural things that you did. When you're sitting down at the table with somebody, you talk to them. You make eye contact. You're right. good company. You're polite. Yes. And then all of a sudden, this new thing comes into our life where it just it just, it just upheaves social norms right and like we we it takes over our lives and there's a there's proven that the, the goal of these apps in all these tools that they're they're, they're j- all jockeying right their objective is to jockey for your attention and they are intentionally made to be addicting they're intentionally made for you to stare at them and that's the dark side of the industry that we don't talk about is that they don't have our best interests. Right. They are interested in eyes so they can sell shit to you. And yes. I think it's really important that we communicate to people how this stuff works. Right. And it's only because I understand how it works and that I don't morally feel okay like buying into that. Right. Because I, because I, I think it's important that we see the big picture. You right. Know? So like what is – like how do we change this? Do we Do we – like I, honestly, I think it has to come from, from the younger generation. I think it's the younger generations that make change. Right. I don't think it's going to change until the younger generation says, "You know, I don't feel good. You know, why is this?" And then once the the, the research shows that it's because of these devices, and then once young people say, "I don't want that," then I think that's that's what it's going to take to change. Personally. Well, I'm waiting for that. So, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts as I'm saying this? I, I mean, I agree, and I'm, you know, you let me look at it a different way, because, you know, now it's like, people go, what are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I I don't know. I don't have the answer. Um, you know, staff, I don't have the answer. You know, before I would have the answer, and now it's, and my managers don't have the answer. Mm-hmm. And they're tired. They're really tired. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's why it bothers me a lot, because I'm trying to take care of them. Yeah. And, you know, they've been with my, most of my marriages have been with me for 20 years yeah. and they have kids now and, and they're tired. So I'm yeah. trying to figure out, you know, with the, what do we, what do we need to do to get people yeah. and to keep them? Well, I think part of it too is now with all this new technology, there, there's more opportunity for people who would have been your employees. And they work from home. Or- they're working from home. They're doing uh, gig economy, whether that's walking dogs or right. cleaning houses or putting together furniture or driving people. There's just an abundance amount of opportunity right now, which you could turn around and say, this is a good thing. Right. This is a this is a, making it possible for us to have a better work-life balance where right. we can choose, hey, I'm feeling like, I feel like I, I might go to work. Right now, I'm going to turn the app on and see if there's a gig for me to pick up. Yep. And it's on-demand work. Yep. So the world is evolving. So the question I think we need to ask ourselves, how can we evolve at the time? Because the restaurant industry is an, it's an old, antiquated model, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a model that I think needs to figure – like, how do we use the gig economy? How do we create it so, like, we can have, say, 500 workers in our suite of employees, but we only need 120 at a time? Right. You know, but we can give them the option to pick up shifts. And then what you're going to see happen, I think, is dude, as I'm talking about this, I just got an alert from Uber 
because I do Uber sometimes still to this day. Oh, wow. um, so the point I'm trying to make is I think the industry kind of needs to kind of look at like the world's going to continue to go in this direction right it is so, so we got to figure out what we're going to do exactly and how we're going to accommodate it and and i think that's the question i mean that's what all these people big brains like fred fred yeah. this is what you need to figure out you yeah. know and and this is what we need to talk about because you know if you say treat your, your employees right i'm like no 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 yeah no 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 i treat my employees right i treat them great yeah you know, so and they'll say, "Oh, because you don't know, restaurant," and I'm like, "No, that's not the issue. I I can't even get them to ch- show up for an interview." Yeah, I don't know the answer. Yeah, you know, and I'm trying well, to I think listen just, to people. I, I really do think that it's just the world. There's more opportunity than ever before. So where there was like, if you were 16 years old, 30 years ago, and you needed a job, you went to a restaurant. There wasn't many opportunities for you beyond that, you know. Like right. that's where the abundance of people went, and now there's just so much more opportunity that out there that you can do. Yeah, and look at me. Uh, if I wasn't recording this podcast, if I wasn't traveling the country and making money with sponsors and affiliate right. marketing and spreading knowledge, then I would be working in the industry. So, right. and there's other people out there who have have who have a passion right. for the restaurant industry and have figured out how to use media to earn a living. So there's just such abundance of opportunity out there, and in, in the as we evolve and as the world fragments and diversifies, I think that's just a part of it. Right. You know, so maybe there's just needs to be less restaurants. Who knows? It might be or walk the dogs at the restaurant. So bring your dog to the restaurant, and we'll have someone walk the dog. And Mutt's then, Cantina. Yeah, it's a thing. Have you heard of it? No. The, one of my past guests, um, I think it's a back back range or something, front range concepts or something. They're a Dallas-based concept, ironically. Kyle Noonan. Um, it's a membership-based. This is actually a perfect freaking example. Thank you very much. It's a membership-based uh, dog park with a restaurant mm-hmm. in it. So in the way – and they have them all over the country, they're, they, and they they prefab these, these restaurants. So they're prefab restaurants. They get shipped across the country in a box, and they – put them together like a puzzle piece. Just wow. click them together. And it's basically a place for you to go yep. to bring your dogs and they play. And then you get drunk and socialize with other dog owners See? and pick up dates. Probably is probably yeah, what I would probably do. What, yes. <laughs> so like th- that, that's the future. But it, the cool thing is their, their model is membership based. You have to be a member. Right. So if you show, you to show. bring your dog there. So you're paying 30 bucks a month, regardless of whether or not your right. dog shits in the front yard. Yep. Like, they're they're taking your money, right? You know, and and then on top of that, they're charging you for the food and drink that you're purchasing while you're there. Yeah. So this is what I mean by we need to get out of the old antiquated business model and say we have the means and tools and resources to collect money different ways, whether that's meal kits or memberships or experience based memberships or whatever it right. is. Right. Like how do we how do we exist in the new world? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a weird time. But I'm, oh, yeah. I'm definitely sympathetic for you, for sure. Cause oh, I'm, yeah. I mean, but we're all in the same boat. You yeah. know, and it's not just restaurants. I mean, if you get, you know, you look at every sign and every whatever, everyone's hiring. Yeah. You it, know, it's so, crazy times. It's crazy. Is there anything we didn't discuss today? Something you were, we were hoping we would discuss that didn't come out of today's conversation? Oh, no. We pulled out a lot, Army. <laughs> you did a great job. <laughs> I'm like, really, oh, no. I, you're a lot of fun to talk to. I'm like, to. oh, my God. So, I really appreciate you, it. Well, you know, when you look back, you're like, God, what have I done in these? 40 years in the business. So, um, 
no, I think you pulled it out. You did a great job. Uh, I do like to ask all my guests before we go to the speed round that the mission statement is to inspire. You've definitely inspired us. You know, you, you went from a down to a really great high. You turned right. your life around and you accomplished great things. Thank you for that. Uh, and you've empowered us with explaining the importance of, of paying attention to the numbers and building systems and, and implementing these systems so you can depend on them. And, and the business doesn't hinge on you anymore. Now it right. hinges on your systems. How have you transformed? Who is Keely today versus Keely in 1991 when you opened your first restaurant? How are you an improved individual? Um, I think I'm able because of my numbers to enjoy life more and travel more, mm-hmm. which is a big thing to me. Yeah. So I travel a lot. Um, I think uh, where I am now, you know, I would be at work at eight o'clock till closing. Now I go in and, you know, I work out every morning and then I get to work at 11. You know, most nights I'm home early. You know, I still like to work, you know, weekends. You know, I learn how recently to take weekends off, which is a big thing for me. You know, they do a great day on sales. I'm like, damn it, I missed it, you know, because I want to be there. Yeah. Um, but, I'm, you know, I think I've grown in that way. I think I've grown where I'm more open. Yeah. You know, menu changes. I, I, I think I'm more open to changes. And I think I really have to go to Fred and them and, and you know, my peers that they make you look at things different. Where before I was, no, this is how we're going to do it. Boom. This is, you know, this is it. Yeah. Where now I'm open and, you know, you got me thinking. So it's kind of like, you know, it's like, hmm, what can I do different, you know, yeah. and how things have changed. And even hey, just anytime here. You, anytime you want to sweep and give me a call, you just let me know. Oh, I will. Brainstorm. <laughs> you know, so I, you know, I think I've changed to the fact that I'm more willing to change. Yeah. You know. Awesome. We're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to bust out a speed round recently on the show you've been hearing it come up often restaurant systems pro if you've become interested i highly recommend you sign up for the restaurant system pro 60 day pilot program this is something that's never been done before this 60 day event is at no cost to you but it's not for everyone Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. 
We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Discipline. What is your biggest weakness? Heart. Mm. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? What did you do today to better the company? What are you looking for? 1%. Mm. What is your biggest challenge today? Staffing. How are you overcoming it? Me working. (laughs) (laughs) I would say looking the other way. (laughs) Me working him. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Have fun. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So something that's common within the four walls of your restaurants, but not common throughout the industry to go above and beyond. Never have a tea glass below the halfway mark. Mm. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? I mean, my uh, favorite person right now is uh, John Gordon. John Gordon. Mm -hmm. What book are you reading? What is that? I'm not as much reading his books, but I've done the training camp and all that. Now I do his listens to his podcast and I'm on his weekly newsletter and his daily uh, positive. So it's um, Home Positive University Podcast. Positive University Podcast. Yeah. John yeah. Gordon. John Gordon. J-O-N. First time I've heard of him. Oh, my God. He's fantastic. We'll have to check it out. He did the bus, the complaining rule, all okay. that. Okay. Nice. Thank you. That's the first time mentioned on the show. Um, we'll include the link to the podcast in the show notes. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Train. What is one piece of technology you've adopted within your restaurant, well, the four walls of your restaurant that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? But it's just one system, so it couldn't be just the whole RSP. <laughs> it can be RSP, Restaurant Systems Pro. Yes. Yeah, because everything's in there. Labor law, everything. Everything. Yeah. Food purchases. So what it is. And this is something that I think if I was opening a restaurant tomorrow, I'd be looking for an enterprise solution. What is an enterprise solution? It's a one-stop shop. I would go to RSP. <laughs> it's a one-stop shop. It's one payment a month. Uh, it's everything under one platform that's integrated, that speaks together. Uh, and it's not the app trap. You're not getting you know $10 here a month, $20 there a month, $30. And it can scale with your business. You get multiple locations all using the same systems, and they all communicate. I, it would be RSP. Yeah. But if I could do anything, it would get these restaurants that are you know owned to look into the system. But you know when you get an individual, a mom and pop, and they think they know it all. And I'm like, oh. I was there. We don't know it all. You know, <laughs> the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything. And that's one thing that I will repeat. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big sw- pill to swallow, you know, but the world, the, the more we learn, the more we realize it's, it's a complicated world out there. And we, I don't know. I don't know if you can get behind that sentiment or not, but I would love where you could help people. You know, I walk into restaurants and I'll look at their shelves and it's just packed with inventory. I'm like, Oh, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could save so much more money if yeah. it was in your bank account. Right, right. So. Uh, this is the last question. Get ready for it. It's a doozy. Uh. If you're leaving this world tomorrow, all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity 
and for your legacy? What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Fun. I knew that was going to be the first one. Love. That's a good one, too. And laugh. I love it. Thank you so much, Keely. It was a lot of fun sharing your story and sharing your knowledge. Uh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. The majority of my guests on the show are are found this way through people who recognize success and know success. So who do you respect and, and admire? If you found out that this person was a guest on the show, you'd be tuning in because you want to hear their story. You want to you learn from them. In the restaurant industry? Yes, anywhere in the country or the world. What a tough one. Well, I'm just going to say it right now because it's just something that hit my mind. I would love to meet with a developer of crack and, uh, chicken and pickle. Chicken and pickle. I would love to know <laughs> how. What, what's chicken and pickle? Where we went last night. I wasn't there. But, so, oh but my for God. our listeners who aren't so it's familiar. Pickleball courts, four bars, you eat. The food was, you know, for that type, you know, like top. It was fantastic. Um Cornhole, Battleship. They even had a, you know, beer pong, but you played it with a volleyball and a big trash can. Oh, that's fun. You know, um, it was just, it was great. It was, I, I would love, because I would love to do that in my town. I'm like, oh, how could I do that? But it's way too, but I would love to. Well, that's now. now three people who've been referred to me in Dallas. So we're going to have to have another trip back here soon. And uh, chicken, chicken pickle? Chicken pickle. Pickle chicken. Which one is it? I think it's Chicken Pickle. Chicken Pickle, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And how can we connect with you? If we enjoyed today's conversation, maybe we want to come work for you. Maybe we're in Auburn and we like your, the mood, the energy you're putting off today. Maybe you want to be mentored by you. What's the best way to connect? Uh, oh, it would be that phone. That would be email. <laughs> yeah. And that would be a kbsacker at niffersplace.com. Beautiful. And I believe this is actually hang off on the episode number. We might be moving some episodes around, but just listen to the closing thoughts. I'll mention the episode number and uh, Keely. Uh, just thank you so much for taking the time to join me, to share your story, to open up, to get vulnerable and to, um, you know, just help us be a little bit more unstoppable. Great. I enjoyed it. And now is where I say there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Keely Besecker. And I was inspired by today's show. You know, I think right now sometimes it's really to, it's easy to get down and to get consumed by the media, both the mainstream media and social media, about how horrible the world is that we live in right now. And uh, the injustices and don't get me wrong i think that we can be better we can always strive to be better and improve but i think it's also important to stop and reflect and to to really you know resonate in the stories like this of where we were not that long ago uh, and how far we've come where you know somebody like keely wasn't able to just exist in her own skin in her community she wasn't able to be herself and today she can't be herself and i think that you know in a world where it seems like the the message is grim i think there's a lot of hope and i think we're making amazing strides and moving in an amazing direction and i think keely is proof of that keely's story is just so inspiring of, of where we're going and also just great advice today awesome stuff thank you so much keely and if you're enjoying this podcast and you want more like it we need 
your support. <clears throat> There's a ton of ways you can support the show. You can support the, by using our sponsors. You can use our affiliate links. That's whenever a tool or service is recommended on the show. We try to link to it in the show notes. You can share this podcast with everyone and anyone you know aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry. Go ahead and tag us uh, when you're sharing this podcast at Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast so we can personally thank you. And also, if you haven't, this is something I haven't asked for in a while, but head over to whatever player you listen to this podcast on. I know a lot of you are, are using iTunes. Leave a review. Those reviews help so much, and uh, we would love the feedback. And then uh, lastly, you can come hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast, where you have access to me, other passionate Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, ad-free content, and I'm doing my best to, to get people uh, in there, past guests, uh, the tools and services that are being recommended for discussion, and we would love to have you a part of it. And then lastly, I can't say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who make the show possible. Thank you for Jared Parisi for the, the podcast editing and copywriting. Thank you uh, to Sam Hall at sadandsam.com for the social media and videography. It takes an army. I'm so grateful for mine. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.